The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. everyone and welcome to Connected. This is that podcast from Side Street Studio Arts where we have conversations with members of the arts community. I am Erin Rayberg, one of the founders and executive directors of Side Street Studio Arts and joining me this week is Dr. Risa Jones. Um, the next line in my script is to give a brief description about what <laughs> you do, uh, but I'm just going to call you a friend right now and I'm going <laughs> to let you describe what you do because that list is long and inspiring and beautiful. So uh, welcome, Risa. It's nice to see you again. Hey, I'm so happy to be with you, Erin. I'm laughing because I'm like, did we do all of our talking before the podcast or no? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Done. Um, if, if you had to give me a, a title, Risa, <laughs> uh, what's your oh title? Oh my gosh. Uh, title, uh, Learner. I like to learn. So that's my title. That's a good one. I am totally on board with that. Um, so I invited Risa today. You all know I'm focusing on Elgin humans with involvement in the arts. Um, and while I don't know Risa's whole Elgin story, I know it's not short. Uh, so Are you calling me old, Aaron? <laughs> That, oh. That's a nice way to call someone and old. Media insult. Oh, I take it back. I take it back. Uh, it's it's storied. I don't think storied is any better. I don't. I got. There's no hope for me. Um. <laughs> this is a long story, people. Buckle up. <laughs> Sit back, relax. Here we go. Uh, so. Risa, you are of Elgin, are you not? I am born and raised. <laughs> I was born at St. Joseph's Hospital on the east side. And so, you know, the, there's a park there. So I know it doesn't have a swing set, but I always say I was born on the slide, you know. <laughs> they just caught me at the end. <laughs> Off and running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I... I, you know, went to school district U46. I live right next door to my elementary school. I live in that same house. And it was such a joy every day going to school. I'd get there before the teachers, leave after the teachers. Oh, the you lights were really Completely. <laughs> the lights would be off and I'd still be. <laughs> yeah, so what I elementary to... school was that? Hillcrest. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And then um, speaking of the arts, you know, I just feel so fortunate. I, I'm sure you can share this uh, expression as well of being in Elgin and growing up in the arts in Elgin. I mean, we were so fortunate. I was introduced to Lisa Bohm. What are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they had a memorial for her. I think uh, Dr. Clara Oleas had, um, had organized it at the Elgin History Museum. And it was such an interesting time to come together because you saw in that room, yes, there were the, you know, professional dancers that had started their own dance companies, but there were so many art entrepreneurs there. Um, and it really, I think, just speaks to what she instilled in us in terms of 
high quality standards for the arts, but also, you know, just such a beautiful example of someone who was a leader, a businesswoman um, in the arts. So that's just an example. You know, growing up around the name Lisa Bohm, right? And of course, always knowing of her in the different dance studios in Elgin. And I mostly went to Gould Academy of Dance Arts once that opened a block from my house, um, you know, but bounced around and tried many studios. You mentioned the female leadership, right? I mean, Donna Gould, now Elizabeth and Kelly, Melanie Mydell, who is one of my mentors growing up, right? There's so many strong, amazing names who are both entrepreneurs and artists and invested in the community. That is, um, and that dance world just keep, they keep coming back to teach. They keep coming back. It, it just keeps happening around Algin. It's a really beautiful connection. Yeah, it really is. And you can, you know, see the, the different uh, branches of the tree and it, it is fun to connect in that way uh, around those branches. I didn't know you were right next door to your elementary school. I was, I'm a block away from Washington, which was one of my oh, elementary Who's schools. calling the nerd nerdy? <laughs> well, I wasn't there before the teachers. I'll just say that right now. And actually T Tanner and I were walking the dog around Washington the other day and the bell went out, you know, the morning bell. And I thought about my dad who also went to Washington elementary school. And he would always tell me that 825 bell was when he left for school. So he is the opposite of that early bird. Not there. That's all that matters. Right. Kind of. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. Now what? That's so awesome. Were your parents from Elgin as well? No, they actually met because my dad was an elder. My mom, you know, we have such a great example of a, of, of a South Chicago South Side girl, woman, uh, as our former uh, first lady. And my mom was a, a Chicago South Side girl. And um, she, there was, um, my great uncle uh, was, uh, a marriage counselor he, and um, among many things. and. The rumor was we always, um, he was married several times. The, the count that we thought was like five. And we're like, well, what better person to be a marriage counselor than someone who's had marriages? <laughs> Never trust a marriage counselor that has only had one marriage. I mean, what is that? Right, a skinny <laughs> chef or a one-time married marriage counselor. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And so he was my dad's supervisor. My dad was a psychologist at Elgin Mental Health um, now center. And um and they really liked my dad, the family. And so they wanted to have him in the family. Uh, so they would bring him, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like an arranged marriage, but not really, but you know, like, oh, he's a good, we uh -huh. like him. And so he would be brought around for dinners and things that he was actually supposed, you know, they were kind of trying to pair him up with my great aunt. My dad was older than my mom and um, my great aunt who was a, um, dynamics um, social worker in Chicago. In fact, there's a, a um, scholarship named after her at um, Loyola and, um, and uh, but that didn't work out. And my mom asked him, you know, years uh, when he first came like, oh, may I show you around the city? Winkity wink. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's like, we'll see. 
And I think he was shy. My mom's story was that he was arrogant. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> and so three years later, he took her up on that offer and they, <laughs> and they took it from her. And from there, that's magic. But he brought her, he brought his bride to Elgin, which my mom was like, at the time there was not, it was not Chicago. <laughs> no. <laughs> she was like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> love really that important? <laughs> Hmm. That's a whole other podcast, and I right, do not feel right. oh, okay. <laughs> So that's how uh, we ended up in Elgin. Yeah, my dad uh, was born in Parsons, Kansas, and went to Atlanta for school and Boston for school, and somehow ended up in huh. in Elgin. So that's how that's our origin story. <laughs> what did your mom do after they got married? She um, was a teacher uh, at Grant School. Um, she taught in Chicago for a little bit, and she was a teacher at Grant School. Then she had a baby, <laughs> <laughs> and then she went back to teaching, and then she was principal at Garfield School for over 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, are you an only child? Oh, of course. I, I, right? We we know our own. <laughs> That's right. That's, she's like... <laughs> uh -huh. I don't want any guff from non-only children. We know our own. <laughs> we had a, a neighbor once come up and tell my parents, you know, and a neighbor with a lot of children, you know, like we, we were really worried about Aaron when we kind of knew you were only going to have one child, but she's doing okay. Like she's a good person and, you know, and it was a compliment, but also one. <laughs> don't let the door hit you on the way out. Kind of like <laughs> so many layers in there. And, you know, my dad and I wound up at thank you. But <laughs> no, it's that. Thank you. The, the upward inflection. <laughs> what do you think is a quality of an only child? Um, you know, I'm not a fan of the word spoiled, of <laughs> course. Uh, but I, I personally feel being around adults most of the time, which I think a lot of us only child, right? It was children. It was us and our parents. And so we might have had more grown-up conversations, whatever that means. Um, and I find able to interject uh, and work to get what I want in a, <laughs> in a different way, like in a more manipulative. All right, let, I'm just going to cut to the table. Let's put it out on the table. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean for good or bad, right? Just no, you're not putting a value judgment no, on it. Right, it's just right. your suit, one of your superpowers. Right, <laughs> right. I, I think that the only children who I know and I'm close to and relate to um, can find a way, whether it be through force or cunning or eyelashes or whatever. Just pure persistence. We're right. still here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you think? I'm going to turn that one on you. Uh, uh, I don't know. I think um, we can be very generous, but we do need our own time. And... Uh, you know, I think we serve all of those roles of the oldest, middle, and youngest. I mean, I think it's kind of embodied in us. But I, I do find at this age that like I connect more with other middle um, people who are middle children, huh. just because they had to carve their own way. Um, 
And I kind of relate to that as a- Manipulate their own way. You're right. I, I, that alone time, it, something I think about a lot is I like to germinate whatever it is, right? Whether it's what I'm having for dinner or a plan for a new project as far as I can on my own. So I'm not putting it on anyone else, you know, and then when yeah. I, oh my gosh, I can open up about it, whether it be creative or not, that, that is that alone time for me. Aaron, you, you articulated so well, like sometimes people will be like, oh, you come up with so many ideas da, da, da. and really I have like a two year timeline. Like when I actually think of an idea or am inspired by somebody else or initially collaborate, um, it takes usually two years for it to happen. But it, maybe it's like the, you know, again, the persistence, like the persistence. So it looks like I'm doing a lot of things, but I, it, I'm very slow at processing and thinking and and then I, I am a deadline pusher as well. So it's like a slow process thinking is due. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. So then the adrenaline kicks in. Uh-huh. I love that adrenaline though. I love, yeah. right, getting ready for a performance just to put <laughs> something on it. You know, that last minute, something went wrong. Da, da, da. There's just something it, just, it feeds after that two-year gestation, you know. <laughs> yeah. Do you, is that kind of your process as well, Erin? Yeah, I'm a I'm a little more um, uh, I'm a little faster. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> no offense. Right, right. Fast processor. Nice. <laughs> I am very impulsive, right? So that idea, I want to drive at it right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it just speeds up that process for better or worse. You know, I think yeah, there's yeah. pros and cons to both of those. But uh, absolutely, I. I go through that process on my own until I'm ready to invite someone else in. So do you like performing or pra practicing better? You practice. like the, practice. me too, that is so fun. That's what we were talking about. Like, I kind of dread the performance. I'm like, oh, you know, shoot. Like, this is part of the deal. Right. It's like, you know, I have the opportunity when I'm singing, you know, to learn about, for example, some great African-American poets and and composers in ways that I might not know them otherwise and have the indulgence of spending time with them and just admiring their, their in the example of the black composers, like understanding they were able to create these masterpieces, even though going through such struggle outside of the home, but their imaginations were beyond, you know, beyond any boundaries or restrictions. And so I feel that's such an indulgent time. And then when the performance comes up, I have a little bit of resentment, like, ah! I don't know what, expectation isn't the right word. It's like, it's like New Year's Eve, right? It's never <laughs> what, what it, you know, I'd rather be in bed by 10. The, the process of, in ingesting whatever it is you're working on into the person you are right it becomes a little nook or cranny of who you are when you're yes. in that creative process whether it be producing an event or creating art i yeah. i relate it even to playing softball growing up yeah. i loved practice and in games it was about something else right you know? right and um it you know just feeds that whatever part of you that is yeah i still get a rush 
after the performance, but I sometimes engage in the thing that I never want to do, it, which is wishing my life away. Like it's like a two, you know, one hour performance, but you know, really two hours on either side, you know, for either side. And I'm like looking at the clock, like I'll be done with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's the worst, right? <laughs> You're like, I'm you should wrong. never wish your life away. I mean, right. these are precious moments. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, uh, I want to know what school you went to next. Okay, then I went to University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. From elementary school? Oh yeah. Right. Just. I did not bam. tell you. I, I was a child genius. I didn't tell you that. <laughs> Oh, I failed to mention that. So I went to um, Kimball and I had my very first, well, in elementary school, I fancied myself as a producer, director, (laughs) star. Um, So we didn't have plays, but of course, like uh, we did the Christmas Carol and I was screwed. (laughs) And I brought um, my own, uh, my mom had like these little spotlights for decorative purposes. I had that. It it really didn't shine. You had your own spotlight. You got, this is pre-Zoom. I had my own lighting. You tell me about a ring light. Oh <laughs> yeah, and we had rehearsals, you know, the rating of the closets for costumes. And so, and then one time, one group came from, maybe it was from Larkin, to help the kids at um, Hillcrest do a play. And I was like, oh, this is my big chance. Oh, this is going to go great. not cast at all. I'm like, what? <laughs> How are they passing this up? <laughs> so then at uh, Kimball, I was at my first uh, play under um, Don Swenson, who was with um, Elgin Theater for many years. He passed away, I guess, like I told you, I have no sense of time a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And um, he was such a great director. I learned so much from him. I, I would be so angry at the things he told me. And then like years later, I'm like, that was brilliant. <laughs> so, you know, you have some teachers like that who are like, oh, oh yeah, I get it now. <laughs> and so uh, we're, but he told me how close I was to not getting that role. It's so funny at seventh grade. <laughs> That's intense. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But maybe you shouldn't bring your own spotlight. Like maybe you needed a little. <laughs> Are you suggesting that I, uh, my I idea about starring, producing, and directing was a little premature? <laughs> Blow your roll. <laughs> I'm suggesting maybe he was suggesting that. That's I see. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that r- a refreshing lens. <laughs> yeah, and I was in plays. Um, and that was so much fun. And then uh, uh, Larkin and was in plays there. I um, was in, you know, chorus and stuff, but I could never make the top choir. I tried out for magicals probably like twice, you know, like at the urging of f- friends who were in there like, you join it, we'll have so much fun, you know. You know, you know. <laughs> and the outfits. <laughs> You know how I like bling and, you know, that was the most blinging we had. We didn't have show choir and everything else. So, was the most blingy. (laughs) That's so interesting because you're still singing now, right? Yeah, yeah. That was kind of secondary. Yeah, because I, 
I, um, yeah, I was never really recognized for my, my voice. I did more acting and, um, and just, you know, love that process. And again, I, even at that age, I loved practicing. I loved the cast party. The performances were okay, you know, <laughs> but everything else was the, the icing. And, um, yeah, and then I had the good fortune of, uh, uh, going to University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and I forgot when I would come back to do summer theater. So I was in the chorus of Sweet Charity and Most Happy Fella, and it was that was again being in the chorus was so much fun. Like I'm like, ugh, those people in front have to do a lot of work. <laughs> Not memorizing. Mm -mm. Yeah, no, we could have all the fun, and then like, you know, you guys got to get serious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What made you decide to go to U of I? This is bad. I, my students aren't listening. I, I admit this. There was no, like, essay. <laughs> I, I think I said this in my last interview with Eric from the ESO. I chose my school because I could get my own dorm room. So, but I... <laughs> Those brilliant choices that 17, 18-year-olds make. <laughs> And I'm, I'm so happy I did. But. Yeah, I was like, that that worked out. And another reason why is I wanted to get lost. Like, I, I like that feeling of getting lost. At the end of my four-year experience, I did assume some leadership roles. And so my mom would be like, is that your idea of getting lost? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, but I did. Uh, it wasn't what I expected, though. Like, I was expecting college to be more interactive, you know, the Socratic method that you might see with um, law school. So it was very disappointing. It was challenging for me for the first couple of years. And then I got a, a rhythm and um, figured things out. But I was really, I had a culture shock on many levels. Like one was like, I didn't understand the disrespect to elders that was given like people would like, oh, my parents are coming down for this, I, you know, da, 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 or they would talk about, and they had no relationship with grandparents and which my grandmother was so important to me in my arts life. She took me to the uh, opening of the Lyric Opera every year. She would save her money to make sure I could go to every uh, musical in Chicago. So she was so, and I'm like, you don't have a relationship with your grandparents. And that, it might sound very little, but it was such a culture shock for me going away to school and, and hearing those things. And my parents would be like, you never invite us down for parents day. I'm like, they don't, that's just a shopping spree. <laughs> you know, like I'm saving you some money. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, had, I had similar thoughts in regards to how students treated professors. It was kind of the first time I started witnessing, and I've told you before, I'm, I'm a rule follower, you know, yeah. it's the first time I started witnessing people pushing back on that mm -hmm. authority. And I was not comfortable with it. Right. You know, it's still to a certain extent, even when right. absolutely necessary, right. comfortable. but um, when I couldn't see why mm -hmm. I, it, it did not make sense to me in and that was that was very shocking to me at that time too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and growing up like in you know things might be different now, but in the um, in school district U forty six, I mean we always we my group always respected our. I mean I can remember one person who was not respected as a teacher, and it was like jarring, you know. So 
but for yeah. the most part. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I did. I had one encounter in high school where I found the teacher to be very disrespectful to us and mm -hmm. felt myself, you know, compelled yeah. to speak up. Yeah. Um, and that I remember just feeling guilty for mm -hmm. just how right. many years has it been? You know? <laughs> right. And I don't even looking back now, I don't think I was wrong. I don't think right. any of us were wrong, but it was just that jarring. Yeah. Uh, again, respect your elders. Right. It was just a given. Right. Whether it should be or not, I don't know, is an interesting <laughs> conversation, but. Yeah. And the, yeah. So that was interesting, but I did have so many great experiences. I um, was able to serve as a student on the um, Illinois Board of Higher Education. So got to understand more about, you know, higher education from a policy point of view. And, you know, there were so many opportunities to volunteer. And I work with a group down there called Volunteer Illini Projects, where, you know, we had over a thousand volunteers working in the community. So. So many of those experience, and then I went to class, and then <laughs> well, all of those experiences were so wonderful and great. What were you studying? Psychology, psychology. I thought I wanted to go to med school. Um, at this current time in our history, I'm dodge that bullet, but but um, but that that's a funny story. So I was at um, a, an award ceremony at the four year mark and. There were um, three of us were getting recognized. One person was going on to be a Rhodes Scholar. Another was a, a non-traditional student who had, who had made all these gains. I'm like, oh, they're gonna ask me, you know, deadline push it. They're gonna ask me what's gonna be next. <laughs> and I had this brochure from Carnegie Mellon University on policy analysis. Cause you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, public administration. I'm like, oh, no, not, I don't wanna do that. But what's this public policy analysis? And I had a brochure, the school was way too expensive, but I begged my mama, please let me say that I'm going, <laughs> going there. I went, no one asked, but you know, I thought I would be asked. Uh -huh. Next for you, Risa. <laughs> no one cares, but, <laughs> but I thought for the people that would have an answer. <laughs> You're fan. Yeah, so that's how I ended up from a brochure at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. And that was a phenomenal, that was what I thought like higher ed would be. It was phenomenal. And you went right from undergrad to- Yeah, yeah. Most of my formal education has been right after, right after the next. So it was just a great time. I love Pittsburgh. I would take dance at the Pittsburgh Ballet, you know, taking, I don't even remember how many buses to get there. <laughs> um, got very involved in the communities, worked on, you know, in the Hill District where all, all those August Wilson plays were based out of. And it was, it was just a wonderful time. And then what? And then, then what? More school! <laughs> Did you... Yeah, I mean, you clearly love academia, right? From a young age, yeah. Did, were you always like, I'm gonna do all the school? Was that just kind of- No, that was actually instilled in my mom. And it has to, some of it has to do with being a black woman. Um, and some of it has to do with her assessing my personality. And so part of um, the lived experience of my parents was like, you know, education is the key, you know, no one can take that from you. They might take other things from you, but they can't take that. 
And so that's always been playing in the <laughs> tape in my mind. And um, the idea, my mom always wanted, because of my personality, have freedom. So with a PhD, there is some degree of freedom, not necessarily complete freedom, but um, just knowing my personality, it, it was not necessarily the, the academic, like, oh, do you want to go on and be a professor or something like that? It was really around freedom and having something of my own. Those are the core things. And then all the rest is. What do you mean by freedom? What does that doctorate do, you know, in connection to freedom? Like being able to have more ability to carve my own path in terms of um, work. And so unfortunately, I mean, the data is out there that, you, you know, a college educated black woman makes less than any of um, a high school dropout of any other. So the inequities are already there. So trying to in some way <clears throat> address those through education and trying to buy some freedom through um, what a degree can get you. And so that's, that sounds like it's hand in hand with opportunity, the mm -hmm. availability of opportunity. And um, you just said buy some freedom and that is a sh shocking term. That's a beautifully yeah. shocking term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what it is. I mean, <laughs> really, you know, because I, I know so many brilliant people in my life that um, might not have finished high school, might not have finished college, might, I don't consider that a, a degree of excellence of mind because you, if you are committed, you can do that in so many different ways. This is just one path to liberation. You had, you had someone, you had your mom who knew you so well right? Mm -hmm. It could help direct you. I'm a, for as much as I love academia, I'm a firm believer that it is not for everyone. And it's not even for most people. I don't think, you know, and, and first of all, that's a permission of a certain kind, right? Not going down that road. Um, but also having someone be able to look at you at such a young age and be like, here's some direction, maybe, um, yes. you know, and some support in that. That's pretty yeah. beautiful. Yeah, because even in the, yeah, even in the process of picking a school and so, you know, with some PhD programs, they never let someone graduate. So even my choice of going to University of Illinois, Chicago was about like how the relationship with students and how they, um, their graduation rate and things like that. So the business of it all. <laughs> the business of it all, of <laughs> academia. <laughs> I've been an adjunct faculty at an institution for many years now and uh, over over a decade now. And just last year, we got a tiny little raise. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> if, you, if you put all those hours together, it is not pretty, you know? You, but, you owe the money. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But there, is, you know, there is it, the, again that little chunk of me that just feeds off of academia and learning and teaching in in that place where theoretically it's a choice for people to be there and yes, they want to yes. learn and um, so that you know that feeds a different part of that too. But um, 
being an adjunct faculty has caused me to question so many structures that I've believed in and paths I've wanted to follow. Yeah, yeah. I love, you know, for me, I, I completely believe like everyone should have access to higher education, anything that we can do to support um, young people, old people, whoever, to further their actualization of who they want to be and how they want to be. So that's exciting to me. And I love being a part of that. But yeah, there are some practical sides too. <laughs> Everything. That's something about only children, right? The practical side is not as, it's not as fun. <laughs> Wait a minute. Like, that's our budget? Okay. We can do. <laughs> what can we do on this huge grand scale? <laughs> we always joke around here, like, "Oh, great! Now we're gonna turn it into a festival. Like, we turn everything into a stinking festival." <laughs> festival is such a festive word, so you can't go wrong. <laughs> I'm sure there's some derivation there. <laughs> hmm. um, all right, so you become doctor. Then what happens? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, do a postdoc at um, at University of Illinois Chicago uh, on um, with this group that's supporting um, cancer control efforts. It's, um, I'm I'm being brought on because my degree was in public policy and the slash was political science, but this is before you know, political science was really thought about in terms of individual behavior, like voting. And, and I'm like, people don't make decisions by themselves. They make decisions, yes, by themselves, but yes, in groups and yes, in context and yes, in everything else. And so I really approach my work from a, a group perspective. And so my dissertation and work was really around social movements and collective action frames and really looking at how people build identity and understand injustice and work and agency, how they can feel like they can have some power over their, their situation. So um, that was my work and my interest around the collective. And um, this group was coming along, um, or that had been in existence that was doing an evaluation. And the group was called National Black Leadership Initiative on Cancer. And they were looking at how coalitions um, grassroots coalitions could be used to support the dissemination of information around cancer control and support um, Black communities and understanding about their health and addressing myths and misconceptions while also um, understanding that there were some real barriers and um, discriminatory practices around healthcare and you know, really looking at how are these coalitions coming together to support their community. So there was, I was a part of that evaluation team and that was the first time I got involved with evaluation was on the job training. And um, also during my time at uh, UIC, I was introduced to George Balch who um, I work for and, and again on the job training about learning about focus groups and how to um, gather uh, quality information around different groups. So some of our, this is before your time, <laughs> some of our early um, uh, uh, focus groups around the Blue Bag program in Chicago, which is now they represent around recycling and also the alcohol warning labels. So we were interviewing people like, you know, how do you feel if 
you know, you're pregnant and you're at a bar. I don't know. But, <laughs> but those types of kind of focus groups really understanding from different people's perspectives of how they understand um, issues that are important to them. What so, year, years was this? This is um, 95-ish, 90. And so during that same, like the year before, my dad had passed away. And um, and there's some evolution into this the story, but my mom and I wanted to have a living memorial for him. So we were gonna create this thing, you know, Elgin, we, you know, Risa, again, my mom knowing me so well, you, you know, you benefited so much from the arts in Elgin and, you know, your dad cared about children and their self-esteem and how they view themselves. Can we do something? And so it was first gonna be called Wings and then there was something in Elgin called Wings. So my mom's like, oh, I've got it, Hamilton, which was my dad's middle name. And so, um, voila. <laughs> so we were kind of cooking up, it was probably two years, <laughs> cooking up those ideas. And then my mom passed away in 1996. So there was only a two year difference between them passing. And, and I can't even remember. I remember like even at the, I had one friend come and visit and a couple of people who were on our board. And it was, it was kind of during, again, a fog, a time like immediately after the, the service or something, not immediately, but like sometime in that week. And I'm like, we're supposed to have a meeting. Let's keep meeting. You know, I, we need to keep meeting. So I remember meeting at um, Green Jade restaurant. It was my friend Naoko who was visiting in from out of town and my voice teacher and her husband who had introduced the idea of SCORE, students creating, op uh, creating opportunity and force education at one workshop many years ago. And um, we just had a meeting, but it wasn't real. It was more just like, let me just do this to touch a agenda. <laughs> And just keep going, but it, it was it was a challenging time, but also wanting to keep you know pushing through. I am lucky enough to still have both of my parents, but as an only child, that that is a quick change of yeah. life right yeah. there. How who are you then? Right, uh -huh. right. Yeah. How, how do you? What's next in your identity when? that that change happens. Yeah, that's so astute because even my cousin gave me a book and I was a little resentful when she first gave it to me because it was talking about like motherless daughters. And I was like, I'm not a motherless daughter. Like, you know, but it, cause the book was really geared towards, you know, people who lose their mom even at a, at a younger age. So initially I was resentful, but then it, I thought, well, how kind. You know, because she did. She also lost her mother at a young age, at a younger age, not a young age, but, and so it was such a you know generous gift of even just understanding that that's the the situation. My, and, go ahead, go ahead. Oh no, no, and just you know, and just understanding, you know, as only children too. Although, you know, we don't like to attend to necessarily all the logistic details. You know, that's something that we have to do in those situations. Yeah, yeah. That is, well, I mean, one of my questions that I didn't know about you was, well, why the heck is it called Hamilton Wing? <laughs> what a great <laughs> origin story. I mean, what yeah. a wonderful celebration. And so Hamilton was dad's middle name and that's, <laughs> it's great, it's beautiful. And so you and your mom wanted- you, what, And then what Alexander happened? Hamilton came along. 
Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> oh, Lynn. Blows the whole thing out of the water there. <laughs> um, so what was the church? You wanted a living mo mo monument. Is that what you? Moral, yeah, yeah. You two said. And so what were the initial goals of Hamilton Wings? And are you now coming yeah. back to Elgin at that time to make this happen in Elgin? Is that? Yeah, yeah. So I was like in my last years of school, like I lived on campus my first years. And that's when I started really singing because um, DePaul, oh, because my friend Shyla asked me to sing at her wedding during college and I'm, or when I was in graduate school in Pittsburgh, in Elgin. And so I was like, what? why is she asked me to sing? You know, because I told you I was never like the top <laughs> singer or anything. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, it's her wedding. Of course I'll do anything. <laughs> but you know, that, I love that age. I always try to recreate that in my head. Like, yeah, why not? Like <laughs> that kind of like not questioning. Someone asked you to do it. You yeah. might have the ability. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so yeah, I had practiced with my friend who was the companist for us in high school. And and then my dad came to that and, you know, he was like, I thought you were going to sing with a whole bunch of people. I didn't know you were going to sing by yourself. He came in to tell my mom, like, we got to get the baby some lessons. He was so excited. We got to get the baby some lessons. He was so excited. I'm like, okay. Bye. So I did take a couple lessons and I went to Carnegie Mellon just to walk around because that school is known for theater and everything. So, you know, just to hang out with those. I mean, it's known for other things, but, you know. Is this where Blair Underwood studied tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so then coming back when I um, went to school at UIUC, oh, I was right up on Halston. So I just needed to just check because there's, when you're in one of those programs, there doesn't seem to be any light. Like, <laughs> it's like, is this program, is this ever going to end? This is the madness. And so I would take the bus up to um, DePaul to the community music division and take from Martha Caston lessons. And she's like, you've got a big voice. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> because, you know, I was taught in the more choir, choral uh -huh. tradition. And that's like a big voice. What's that? <laughs> All right. <laughs> and so that, that started that madness. So what did you ask? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> so call it Hamilton Wings, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So the point about that was, um, what did we want? We wanted, um, yeah, it was always around, um, like, children's self-esteem. I mean, that was the term now. You know, you, it changes all the time now with social emotional learning. Right? But really, at the core, it's looking at supporting the, the child's fullness and wellness. So whatever people turn, you know, for grants, as you know, you, you write whatever they want, but you're really looking at promoting this child and supporting them in any way you can. And the arts is a great way to do that. So yeah, it always had that um, focus. There was a, we had a parent on the board, a psychologist on the, bo on the board because of that, that emphasis, always educators involved. And so, what, yeah, it, it is the same. what, what is it about the arts and what you all do that does support that confidence, emotional wellness, mm -hmm. those those sorts of things? What are those connections that you see? Yeah, well, one is just the permission to be and explore and then to be again and to explore and to be again. So 
the the not only the validation of self, but the creation of self and understanding that and having the permission, like you were mentioning the word permission, the permission to do so in a in a safe environment with things that are not supposed to be perfect, that are not that that don't have a, this is what it's supposed to look like at the end. Um, and allowing uh, children who have different ways to express their voice, whether it's through their vo actual voice or their perspective or how they encourage or how they show up, um, their voice is heard. And so in the beginning, we always wanted um, another fundamental part was um, my mom worked at a, a, a challenge school um, as principal and we were so much about um, dispelling myths about people, making sure that people were not, especially young people, not just seen as recipients, passive, but that they were always active contributors and had important things to share. And, you know, this again, before the word mar marginalized or disenfranchised come up, come up, it was really about, again, seeing the whole person and understanding that every person is vital and and how can you know we support them and our tool is the arts but you know like you mentioned softball other people's are physical activity um other people's are you know knowledge and history there's so many different ways to participate but this is our you know our little corner early on how were those students getting to you and and who were those students early on yeah so our a lot of our origin story also takes place at the old library which is now their parking lot uh we would meet once a month in the basement i love of that library. old library it's so dark and <laughs> oh cozy. i love so much. i can still smell the old yep, library. brown carpet oh my oh, god i, I loved it. i can i can see myself walking and then looking to this side which was like the preschool room Little and then looking yeah, yeah, and the, I love those little slanted tables. Yep. I have that was the, like pre bookstore. Like, oh, look at these books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to offer this week? <laughs> yeah, and oh, um, by the way, I don't know if you know how famous I am, Erin, but I did appear on Romper Room when I was. Uh, Whoa! <laughs> you're what? welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> this is this is related to the library because. Like they would ask us each night a question, like, why is the sky blue? And either I would rely on my Encyclopedia Britannica, which my grandmother worked there, that's and, <laughs> or we would call the, my mom would be like, you can call the adult section of the library. I'm like, I'm only a kid. <laughs> so we'd be like, call. <laughs> my mom was very also ensuring that I became independent in that way. So like, why is the sky blue? <laughs> So I was so, but I also, um, that career ended quite dramatically. I was on for like a week. It was so much fun. We got to the commentary. My mom would be like, oh, that's Bozo. I'm like looking over. I didn't see Bozo. Maybe he was a man. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly I saw no floppy shoes. That's no Bozo. <laughs> <I'm a> bozo. <laughs> <laughs> so I did get in trouble. Um, I'm... Yeah, um, because I was so anxious to say the answer. And Miss Susie or whatever her name was, I don't know if it was Miss Peggy, Miss Susie. I put that out of my mind because I blocked. <laughs> She's like, here at Romper Room, we raise our hands. Oh, boy. 
Oh, get this one out of here. The hook came out. <laughs> Here at Romper Room, we raise our hands. <laughs> yeah, talk about a rule follower and devastation. Right. That is, oh my gosh, your little ego just had to crumble. <laughs> to tell you why this guy, or whatever the question was that day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So how do we get on that? <laughs> I don't know, but I don't know how to get back. Oh, so we were talking <laughs> What were we talking about? Uh, early days like, yeah, so what would happen was um our real focus was um the early beginnings of, of Hamilton Wings before it was Hamilton Wings was my mom. I had a assistantship at, at UIUC in the leadership department so we would put on leadership trainings for students and everything and, and my mom was like well why are you doing that for my students I'm like what <laughs> like why are you doing that and I'm like okay you know I never wanted to be a teacher or anything so yeah okay I'll do that so um we did we had occasionally from um, 1992 to 1995 these kind of in-school assemblies and um teachers were allowed to send down two leaders from their classroom to the, participate in this. And our very first one, you know, like teachers sent down their leaders and we did a lot of things around like goal setting, col um, collaborative work, things like that. I had, you know, all the cute little name tags. It was like, you know, little brochures. It was very cute. I'm doing, for those of you who can't see us, I'm doing my Tiss uh, Creek. Uh, <laughs> we did all of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um and afterwards I was exhausted I was like oh, I, this is why I told you mom I never come back even when she would ask me you want to sub nope nothing <laughs> and she's like well he, that was brilliant you don't know what you did I'm like what are you talking about and she's like yeah you know teachers could send down two leaders you know leader is not what you just think it is maybe sometimes they wanted to send down a leader that they would be happy to get rid of for a day <laughs> in this workshop. So like, it just reinforced for us how important high expectations were because I didn't know, <laughs> I'm thinking leader, goody two shoe, you know, kind of person and, but how well these young people showed up and performed and engaged and were critical thinkers and the way that they could demonstrate their intellect, even though on a, you know, circle bubble thing, they. They might not ever, you know, show up in that way. So it was so thrilling. Like, even though I was exhausted, it was thrilling in the sense of like, oh, high expectations do matter. And it's okay to have high expectations and it's okay to find um, success steps for people to reach those expectations. Yeah, not everyone might um, reach that end goal in the same way, but there's ways to support people who who demonstrate different qualities and abilities to get there. So that that's always been in our, our thinking as well. And so we would meet once a month in the library and you asked, now I'm recalling, you asked where the kids came from. So uh, they came from Garfield, they came from Harry Gifford, but one of my mom's here friends, Dr. Falern, uh, was principal there. Um, and then we just, you know, kind of put out a open call for other students. Friends would bring friends. We would meet once a month and the library would put a bibliography together to support what we were doing. So we would do mask making and 
the library put together a whole bibliography of mask making. So it was like they could, the kids could get excited about what they were learning about and then go right upstairs and get whatever they needed in terms of research uh, reference materials to support that. You know, we had Claire um, Oleas bring in dancers from Lisa Bohm and just talk about like, you know, the discipline that they had and how, you know, beautiful it was and just the majesty, but seeing someone up close, it's kind of like those YouTube videos, like interview an opera singer, interview, and that, you know, but they're up close, they get to meet someone like that. And um, one time we had um, my voice teacher and her husband, and we did a do-it-yourself opera where we just had a whole bunch of costumes on a table. Our lighting was the flip switch, like someone was in charge of lighting. And, and that, you know, I, like I told you, the two-year span, that was like the initial idea of like, oh, like do-it-yourself opera. What? <laughs> this could be something more than an afternoon from 1.30 to 3.30. So years, um, years later, uh, Robert Hansen from the Elgin Symphony Orchestra said, oh, if I could ever do anything for your kids, like have tickets or something, just let me know. And in my head, I'm like, or something else. <laughs> and so we were originally partners with the Elgin Symphony and doing the, um, doing the score. We're ever grateful for them because with their plow, they, we were able to get funding from Grand Victoria and other places that allowed for something like crazy like score to happen where students create their own opera over the course of a year. I mean, there were some models like out of Opera America, but um, yeah, this crazy, I remember uh, going with the executive director at that time to talk to some council people and um, they're like, well, I don't know, how are you gonna get kids in opera? They won't be, and I, you know, all righteous, like um, that's your limited thinking. I'm sorry for you. I, again, just to capture that youth, like <laughs> that audacity, be like, this is your problem. <laughs> Are you going to put your limits? Is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> working, working the shame angle mm -hmm. for, for the arts. <laughs> Manipulating, <laughs> however. For the arts. You're making me the children. a couple things. One is that something you you and I met at. I was trying to remember. We met at Washington Elementary School. <laughs> yeah. Well, the there introduced us one day because I was coming in to talk about yeah. my after school programming, and you were finishing a meeting talking about your programming. And um, Lori was like, uh, "You two should know each other," and I, I yeah. think she was right, and I'm so glad we met. Um, but, but it felt, um, and still to a certain extent, feels revolutionary to return. So mm -hmm. with right with programming that isn't during the school day, right? Mm -hmm. Mandated sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. These crazy ideas of right. giving stage to this creative voice, whatever it may mm -hmm. be, and not just being a pop in for mm -hmm. an awesome performance and a workshop, right. and then we hit the road again. But right. returning week after week, month after month, and even right. now, right, year after year to grow right. up with some of these humans feels so significant to me. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really understand that. Again, with my youth, when we were first starting Hamilton Wings, my mom and I, I was so impatient. I'm like, and so frustrated. And, you know, I think about all the arguments that I instigated with my mom, like, we got to do this now. We 
have to see this change now in her wisdom in terms of, you know, and her work, which was intergenerational. I mean, at Garfield, she knew generations and generations and still to this day, you know, families come up to me and, you know, let me know that she knew them and knew their family. I'm horrible at names. She knew everyone's name. She knew the family. She knew the relations, you know, that long-term commitment of, you know, doing what you need to do where you're planted. And, um, but, but yeah, I, oh my gosh, I would be so angry at my mom. Like, you just don't get it. We need to do all this now. (laughs) All this, why is this taking so long? Yeah. And, and her wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) The worst when they're right. It's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) So while all of this is growing, uh, is is this what you're focusing on? Are there other things, you know, I can absolutely see how this is hand in hand with all your education experience. What what else is kind of going on in your world? Right. Now? So uh, um, also my world is that I'm working on building this evaluation career. So, I mean, that because Hamilton Wings is uh, to this point still hasn't sustained me as a I know you probably can't really. I, I kind of understand. <laughs> so, you know, I was doing a lot in Chicago. I worked at the Illinois Center for Violence Prevention with their Evaluation uh, Resource Institute, which, you know, as a part of my lifelong learning, opened me up to so many organizations. We coach different grantees of the Illinois Violence Prevention Authority um, in supporting them and telling their stories. And I just love that work. So it would be this range of organizations that um, we would support. And like, for example, one that remained dear to me was build a, uh, a group that, I don't know what their mission is now, but gang prevention and intervention. And, um, uh, you know, being able to tell their story and working with all these dedicated people again, who are in it for the long haul to ensure that youth were able to, to be seen for who they are and not a label. And um, yeah, one significant story that I still have regret around is, um, is uh, I'm trying to say this again, so I don't violate confidentiality, but there was, um, there was someone who was at the organization and years before, you know, as my mom and I were thinking about Hamilton Wing, she gave me an article from the Tribune that was about this young person who had done something very horrible um, in his youth, was sent to prison, and then came out and was doing great things. Uh, Years later, you know, I had worked with this person forever. Years later, during a meeting, I'm like, you're one of the inspirations for him. And I let it blurt out. I hope I didn't, you know, say everything but I let it blur out that you are part of the inspiration for Hamilton Wings like and I hope I didn't blur out about what he did right. um, because that's not who he was like you know like Brian Stevenson always says you're not you know if you steal you're not a you know a, a robber you're if you if you're you know if you kill you're not a killer you know all these things and so I hope I I was just so horrified because with evaluation, you're so taught to protect confidentiality and everything. But I was just so like, we have been working together for years and you right here and you're my inspiration. And so, you know, it's, 
it's so interesting how so many of these circles um, meet up these these Venn diagrams of life and how they can be supportive of your growth and how you give back. Yeah, are you? I mean, that's almost right where I was thinking as you're telling me about this work at at this time. I are you aware of how interconnected each, you know, young person you're working with, plus this evaluation work, you know, is that apparent to you at this point? Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes I just let it reveal itself. Like, you know, I, uh, you know, like there's some people like, oh, you know, this is going to mean something, you know, like, especially around death, people say that a lot, like, oh, the, and, I try to let go of that, like, yeah, the meaning will reveal itself, but I'm not going to search it out to force it. It will reveal itself. So yeah, <laughs> I have some friends like, you know, like this is gonna mean something, like it could mean something or it could not <laughs> let it reveal itself. But yeah, so many things that I'm returning to and in some ways that make me feel so ignorant, like, how come I didn't see this, this pattern? Yeah, like yeah. that's a part of it too. Like sometimes I'll get frustrated even with like Hamilton Wings, like uh, thinking that something's new and then, and then thinking, no, this is what we've been doing the whole time. And it's frustrating sometimes when it hasn't moved further because it's the same story. Like sometimes we're like, oh, what's your strategic plan? And like looking back, it might, again, like the language might change, but it's the same thing. And so sometimes that's grounding in terms of, okay, it's consistent. It's the same thing. In some ways, it's so frustrating. Like, how many times does the same thing need to get revealed? Yeah. Tanner and I beat each other up about that once in a while, depending on who is in which (laughs) mental state, you know, in that well, we're trying this and, you know, pounding our fists and whatever. And like, do you, now we're going to be eight years old. Now we can see those patterns emerge. And, you know, you're like, oh, I, I have this great groundbreaking idea that the board is younger and different and made up of different people. And like, you got, yes, of course, that's what we've been doing. Why? Right. You can beat yourself up about it for one and not give yourself enough credit. And also, right. Then that part of you that wants to push harder and faster and get it done, uh, maybe doesn't see what you have pushed. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, where, what does Hamilton wings look like now? Not now, now let, we'll talk about now, now, <laughs> no, but you know, outside of our current situation, you know, with COVID, yeah. I mean, what does I Hamilton think, wings look like now? I mean, it can take on different forms, but essentially it's the same thing about figuring out ways to empower youth to be who they are and how they want to be seen through the arts. So however that happens. So, you know, we have programs in which young people develop their own um, community service program based on the arts, but it's really about them going through the process, feeling secure in their voice, feeling secure in accessing resources, and then whatever they do is expressed through the arts. So it's it's the same thing. Um, but just in 
And, you know, with the community piece, um, the things that we do with the community, it's really about build, working to build that piece that's ultimately to support the youth. Like, it's like, you know, with Create Innovate Ignite, it's really the idea of creating a culture and our appreciation and a spirit for creativity and imagination with my family. My community is really about creating a community that's appreciative of all of the family voices and all of the family presence so that it supports you. So all of those things are still for that same aim. How many <laughs> have you worked for? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, a ballpark. A ballpark? Maybe a ballpark. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so horrible. And then when we do like statistics at the end of the year, I don't retain it. Like I'll put mm -hmm. it in my program. And it takes a lot for me to retain the lap because again, that's part of the beating the self up. Like sometimes I'm like, that's not enough. Or is that where we should be? And, you know, like in our work with um, Elevate Elgin, having those discussions about scalability in terms of depth versus breadth. And, you know, that's, I know what, that's what I care about, but the worldly world tends to look at uh, how many number, you know, how, how wide the reach versus how deep the reach. And so sometimes I get caught in that madness and that's where my spirituality is very significant in my life to having to keep grounding me on on the whys and the hows for those whys. I found that looking at our numbers from last year for Sidestream, right, which are dramatically different, different. from or you know, and especially as a new organization, you look at growth and making sure we are doing more and, and growing into who we aspire to be right and last year <laughs> i was like we did something yeah. <laughs> you know like, yeah. that's that's so much you know personally in this moment we did something yeah i love uh amber ruffin i love seth meyer's amber ruffin but she the, lately uh i mean amber ruffin is phenomenal but she's a comedy writer on seth meyer's but she has her own show now and she has, uh, sh now she lets her writer shine. And one of the writers did a, a skit about like, you know, it's January, the time of resolutions. What are you doing? You've already done it. You stayed alive. Congratulations. You have figured out how to make toaster strudels in a non-nutritional snack into <laughs> a satisfying meal. You've done it. <laughs> and then she goes through all these lists of things like, You've done it. <laughs> you had to move back with your parents. You figured out a way to um have a you know a roof over your head. You've done it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Puts everything in perspective. Uh -huh. <laughs> you mentioned elevating equity, which is something you and I. I, I, I mean, you're one of the few people that I've spent more time with. That <laughs> You know, our our elevating equity cohort, we've met just about every week for a yes. couple of years. And it's uh, one of the most consistent relationships in my life. Right? <laughs> um, I so, was beyond Tanner. <laughs> you, you know, it's right. It's right there. It's right there. Um, 
can you tell tell me what we've been working on, Lisa? Well, it's been a a joy. And did you look at some of those feedback questions? I'm like, oh gosh, I gotta think. I know. I know. It was harder than. (laughs) Yeah, we had to do some trivia questions last night, and uh, and it was so much fun. Deanna, thank you so much. But that that was a strain. Now we got to reflect on this philanthropic project. How do philanthropic? There you go. (laughs) See it in my head. Uh, (laughs) So for me, it's really about you know democratizing. Uh, philanthropy and um, be, and you know really opening the process to see that there are so many important voices in our community that can contribute to our community, how fortunate we are to have them in our community and how can we support them in doing what they need to do to make our community even better. And I mean, what a radical idea, right? That shouldn't be a radical idea, but even, you know, we're brought together by the Grand Victoria Foundation, which is a major funder in our community and beyond. And I, I rem- they are actually the first stumbling block I got frustrated with as a grant writer, because when we were starting Side Street, Right. And, and these, this might be wrong, you know, but you had to be a nonprofit for two years. You had to have maybe two full-time staff and you had to have a budget of $250,000 or something. Right. Which, you know, full-time staff, what's that for starters, you know, and that budget is a ridiculous amount. And, you know, and that is, is, and was, a really common baseline in any kind of funding for nonprofits yes. or otherwise, right? And so those those obstacles, that's one of the things that I looked at and was like, these are the rules. Now I need to have those guidelines as an aspiration for my organization in order to reach a certain level of funding in order to sustain this organization. Yeah, and that's, um, that's frustrating because um, you know, we were invited to the table and it's not just Grand Victoria, it's, you know, course, but yeah. unfortunately they're one of the few major funders. I mean, luckily we have Palmer here. Luckily we have Elgin Cultural Arts, but other than that, in terms of funding out, you know, the Polk Brothers Foundation may say that they fund out here, but then, you know, Kane is listed in many um, grant uh, specifications, but when it gets down to it, they don't really fund out here. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and even in terms of their definition of sustainability, so like in the early years, we participated in a three-year something with them and, um, you know, criticized for, you know, not having huge budget, not having the staff, yet, I, you know, we, we can look and some of those organizations that did have all that are not here. And you know, we're like, we're still here. The sustainability, is that what you really want? Because it doesn't necessarily show up mm-hmm. in the metrics that you have. It's so, it, I, I always, I say this often, right? Like, to me, it sounds like someone read a book about how to start a nonprofit and then came in and was like, you know what you should do? And 
I joke because I was that person who used to do that 20 years ago. And now I'm like, the way to do it is to follow your passion, right? And find other people who have that passion and then maybe start a nonprofit or maybe it's a club or maybe, right? There's a hundred ways you can do this. And for the funding world to not be open to those hundreds of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing that uh, Steve Moon from the Grand Victoria Foundation has talked about, and we've talked about in our meetings, is that idea of trust, mm-hmm. right? And these people yeah. who are applying and these organizations, that that has really cracked me open a little bit. Like, I need mm-hmm. you to trust me that yeah. what I'm saying I'm trying to accomplish, I can. And sometimes it might not work and sometimes it will. But yeah. if, you, if you see that this idea is worth supporting, we all need to throw in for the betterment of our community and so on. Um, yeah. I find that very inspiring um, and and have found that really inspiring. Just one piece of what has been really Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so much was um, like at that unconference that we were able to attend, one of the organizations talked about that they have a row of houses that um, are used to build community and you know, young people running those houses, living in those houses and um, supporting the local parks and everything. And and one of the young people talked about that their philosophy is really around, their expectation is to fail. And, you know, as we know with the creative literature out there, like you can't have create creativity, innovation, progress without failure. You know, we just need to look at any of the standard inventors and look at, you know how many times they failed until we hear their success story about the light bulb. Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that so many things are built in that are actually counter, counterintuitive to, to building and producing innovation. You, I, I just have totally lost track of time. So I'm going to, why, why does that, I, we could, we could keep going forever. Um, but quickly, just a couple things, you know, we were able to spend time with this group of people during um, a monumental events, right? I mean, personally, I got sick with COVID and went through that experience with, you know, virtually with these people, right? We, um, as we mentioned in our final meeting last night, we're able to take time and space to talk to each other and listen to each other as we um, witnessed Black Lives Matter protests, as we went through the previous administration um, in the in the White House. And um, it really is and has been a very specific and particular time and space that we've all been together. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for that experience with that group of people. And I, I really feel that that has fed so much of um, the funding work, right? And then I think beyond for most of us. Yeah. And like, you know, I shared at the, the meeting last night, the way that uh, Steve created space for understanding the external world in our work was really phenomenal. And that is my expectation now for, you know, moving forward past the Zoom world is that that time and space is allowed for um, because it's important and, and, you know, if our work around the arts is to bring people's full, full humanity, then we have to make space for their full humanity. 
And that means sometimes putting a task aside in order to accomplish the goal of living. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, so that is going to be something I take away that will be sustained in my practice. Absolutely, both personally and professionally, hopefully, right? Like, yes. give yourself a break to yes. digest, process, mm -hmm. and, and as well as the people you're working with. It, it, it's an excellent lesson I'm so glad yes. to have learned. Yes, uh, yes. Or relearned or yes. continue to relearn. <laughs> it's one of those reveals, like, are you kidding? Learn the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll let you go, but I'm so grateful to have been able to spend this time with you and Me too. To watched you work. Yeah, I, I mentioned in the meeting last night and made everyone very uncomfortable that I love yeah, being on everyone. <laughs> I okay, love let, being let me, on Zoom. Because I can hear it. I want to let Aaron talk before, you know, let the other person talk. No, I'm putting in a disclaimer. <laughs> Beware of Aaron on Zoom. Okay, go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> I find that via Zoom, I look at people more because I will get distracted by people when I'm listening to them. And so I look off so that I can hear. Um, but I, I was really able to look at all these people I was working with because they didn't know I was creepily staring at them, but it has just, um, and immediately our friend Marcos was like, well, that is the exact reason why I did not want to do this. That was so funny <laughs> but it, it, it has really, it, I, I truly feel like I can see the the words that you know everyone was trying to say and see the emotion or humor or whatever it is behind because I I am able to stare. Yeah, you know, I'm teasing you, Aaron, but I think that is such an important point. I can see myself in meetings pulling even pulling my chair back when I'm like, no, mm -mm, uh -huh. I, I might disagree with something. I might feel shut off and I will pull back where I can't even see faces. And so it is interesting about this idea. I mean, that's why people have Zoom fatigue is because you you are constantly present, whether you're talking or not. If your camera's on, you're constantly present. And so, I'm, you know, I'm teasing you, Aaron, about like, oh, she's staring at us. Oh, she got my good side. <laughs> but, but it also is this idea of, you know, talking about showing up can't you can't really pull back from the table well that's it's something i have i have learned from you even before all of this we've had a few conversations where i feel like you gave me the per permission to be like if that hurts or if that doesn't feel right or isn't the best for the whole or you walk away Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to you don't have to feel the pain or the guilt or you can. But think about the whole. Is this serving the mission? Is it serving you? If not, walk away. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's nice to hear someone tell you that, but be able to talk to someone about it who does want to, you know, say yes to everything. And, yeah. And yeah. That. And that can be a really difficult, difficult struggle there. If, if you're a diva, you could throw your boa over and <laughs> that, that's, that was something my grandmother, she always had like boas and things and had no sense of personal space. So she would fling her boa and I'd be like, what? Dodging. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> 
while I was doing some Matrix moves and she was leaving the room. Carry a walk away boa with that. Like I'll keep it in my sweatshirt pocket, but when I got a bail, I'm going to pull it out and swoop. That's so, that's so awesome. <laughs> One year I gifted uh, my friends with a red boa. I'm like, everyone needs a red boa. Don't we all need a red boa? Uh, so yeah, we, we might have that when we have our face-to-face -face meetings, just yeah, make yeah. sure we're all equipped with our boa. Absolutely. <laughs> Dr. Risa Jones, it is always a pleasure and has been a pleasure today. Thank you so much for joining me. Erin, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's always so great to be in your company, and this was a lot of fun. If anyone wants to know more about Hamilton Wings or anything like that, where how should they find you? How should they www.hamiltonwings.org. Ooh, that was lovely. Yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't have a Twitter. I mean, we do have a Twitter. When was the last time we looked at it? <laughs> oh, thank you everyone for joining us. Follow Side Street Studio Arts. Listen to this awesome podcast. Uh, stay tuned for our Vote Local series so you can gather information and make your voting plan. Those local elect elections are very important. Uh, SideStreetStudioArts.org and uh, check out Hamilton Wings as well. We're, we're all not going anywhere. So you're stuck with us for a while. So we'll check it out. <laughs> Thank you, Risa. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everyone. Am I clicking off? Click off. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Risa. Bye. <laughs>